All right, Kasturi Sakrat, I'm here today once again from the desert for the final time with my friend in Portland, Kelly. How's it going, Kelly? It's so good. How are you out there in the desert or wherever you are? I'm doing great. I'm drinking, I'm freebasing some Coca-Cola <laughs> and, um, you know, eating noodles. How and, Are you like and, cooking out there? Are you like heating up water? Uh, what are you doing? Yeah, no, I've got a propane stove, so yeah, I'm I'm cooking some stuff. I got a couple, couple ready meals. You know, I'm testing them out, but you know, the the easiest one is just like the nice ramen bowls. Sure, they're delicious, um, little spicy, delicious. They're good stuff. Um, yeah, and I just drink sparkling water pretty much uh, all day whenever I can get it, and uh, try to avoid um something you might hear in this episode, which is a bunch of a bunch of hoodlums racing, <laughs> racing around. Um, we got a couple. Weirdly enough, yeah, we got some cars, we got some trucks. I don't know if it's like cars versus trucks or whatever, but if you hear something going across the way, just know that I'm okay, unless I'm not okay. So I'll <laughs> Unless let you this know. abruptly ends. Well, then I suppose no one will know it because I'm not uploading anything, and I won't have your side of the commentary anyway. So That's true. Just silence. <laughs> You'll put up this, though. You'll put up just you in silence. Reacting some laughter. in real time. Exactly. <laughs> it's over. And that's the end of the podcast. Yep. This is not a podcast for hoodlums. This is not a racing podcast. We do not condone street racing at Sign on the Window. This is a podcast about Bob Dylan. I, Daniel, have been listening to Bob Dylan for most of my life. Kelly has heard roughly the same number of songs as the number in millions of dollars that Mercedes just sold, like, last week. A very rare, there's only two of them, 1955 ah. SLR coupe to some rich fuck. And this week, we listen to Ballad in Plain D for some reason off of 1964's Another Side of Bob Dylan. With the innocence of a lamb, she was gentle like a fawn. I courted her proudly, but now she is gone. Gone as the season she's taken. Kelly, it's great to um, hear the voice in the desert. I would say it would be great to actually hear voices and see people, but like I said, the hoodlums are here. So I feel like they have really ripped the reality uh, band-aid off. You know, I feel like I'm isolated out here. I don't really see a lot of people or hear any from anybody except for today. So it's kind of weird. It will because like, you're just on BLM land, right? You're just like in the mm-hmm. middle of a the desert. That's why. I don't know. Yeah, I just, just when you're bored, if you live in a remote place and you're like, "Fuck it, let's just go out into the desert and run around." And run around, and I'm like, "No," because I live out here, so they don't know that. Though <laughs> this is my home. <laughs> they they didn't you. get the the notice, which is pretty sad. I live here, Kelly. We spent this week though listening to. I'll be honest. I only listened to it twice. "Ballad in Plain D" by Bob Dylan, an eight minute song. The second to last song on another side of Bob Dylan. We've only had one other song, which we'll talk about in a moment from this record. So this is kind of, I think this is the one record for us that we just don't really have a whole lot from. And um, I'm kind of curious what you think about this song. This song is fine. I was surprised I wasn't more annoyed at it because it's so long and it's, you know, 13 verses and the music is the same throughout the whole thing. I would imagine that it was going to be really, really repetitive. But after the first couple of verses, I just kind of tuned it out. And the guitar, he does enough embellishments with the guitar that it didn't feel like painful. So 
Uh, fine. The song is fine. That's fair. Um, definitely have a lot more thoughts than than that for me. I think mainly I just I I don't like this song. So I think that this is a pretty popular camp to be in. There are definitely people that really like this song. And like a lot of Bob Dylan songs, they like it for two reasons. One of them is the one I'm most annoyed by, which is I was alive back then. So I you're too young to know. And I'm a Bob Dylan fan. So that one, I kind of just I always laugh at that kind of one. But the other one that weirdly enough gets bandied about is people don't like the song because they don't understand it because they've never felt the pain that Bob Dylan is writing about. And if you don't like this song, you've never been hurt. Ah, it's the the thing that I always uh, find analogous to this is when people who really like Donnie Darko meet someone who doesn't like Donnie Darko. They just assume you don't understand Donnie Darko. Because you're not allowed to not like it. The only way you don't like it is because you don't understand it because you're too stupid. It's really hard for me to like take some of their objective reasonings as to why this is good at face value. You like it, you like it. I get that. I'm not trying to say you should hate the song, but uh, I I think it's pretty hard to, to justify, at least in my head. Um, I haven't heard anybody be like, no, objectively, this was a good idea. It's like, no, it's it really never was. Um, the one thing I can think about that I do think about a lot is we talk a lot about personal details in Bob Dylan songs. And we last time we did Simple Twist of Fate. And with his live versions and his rewrites, um, he kind of let the mask slip on some of his own personal feelings. And I think there's a difference between the mask slipping, which I think every Bob Dylan fan craves, and not wearing a mask at all. And this is a weird one where mm. it's so personal that it, in a way, takes it takes you out of the song. The best, um, I don't want to mention the person who wrote this because I hate him, but the guy, he, um, he's, he's like a conservative shitbag now, but he... he when he was back in the day, when he was on the left, he wrote about Bob Dylan and this song in particular, he summed it up perfectly. He said, it sounds like somebody reading their mail. It sounds like reading somebody's mail. And I feel like that's really accurate. It's not really good. There's not a whole lot of artistic thing, artisticness to it. It sounds like you're just the complete id. And I don't know if that makes a song good, you know? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, so I that's we can we'll get into that for sure. But that that was the thing that I was like, nah, this is it's he's just so self-serving. Like, I I I don't enjoy that part of it where it's very one-sided. But I mean, you know, when you're writing about your personal experience with something, it's kind of yeah. hard not to be. Well, I'm I'm glad. I mean, you're not you're not as vitriolic, so I feel like this is going to be a better conversation because in my head it's very one-sided, and I'm like, yes, let's get a nuke and let's blow this song up. <laughs> and now it's like, okay, hands off the button. Let's talk about it. So it's that's, fine. That's good. Um, we don't have to it's blow fine. it up. It's fine. <laughs> uh, a little bit of context first. So this is going to be a, a bit. So I want to talk about the recording. I want to talk about the composition. I want to talk about all that kind of stuff. There is a race car next to me. Just so everybody knows. Um, I want this to be on here. I really hope it's picking it up. Oh, I can, I mean, uh, I can first hear it over all, the, the phone mic at least. Can so, you? Yeah. Yeah, of course. They're just babies. They're just babies. They're just babies um, having fun. They're not even really racing. That's the other part that I'm kind of confused about. I think that they're like going across one another. Hmm. I can't tell. Nope, he's just slowly driving away. Hmm. I can't tell. All right. Um, first of all, the recording. So a little bit of context here. Since we've only had one episode and it was episode 53, it's been a while. So this album is interesting for Bob Dylan because he recorded it all in one day, June 9th, 1964, um, about 58 years ago from when we are 
recording this song, uh, recording this podcast, which is pretty interesting and pretty crazy as well. Um, this song feels like the last song. I just can't with this guy. Yeah, there he goes. <laughs> this song feels to me like the last song you would do as Tom Wilson is like turning off the lights in the studio. And Bob's like, wait, 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 no, I got one more. And he's like, oh my God, we've been here all fucking day. I can't take this last song, but it actually happened in the middle of the day. It's like the fifth song that he played. Um, he started out with a song called Denise Denise, which is a, a B side. We maybe we'll listen to it at some point. Uh, and then he did it, it ain't me, babe, which I'm sure most people know and is excellent to Ramona. One take excellent song, Spanish Harlem incident, one of my favorite songs. And then this, which he originally called poem, and maybe it should have stayed a poem. Um, there is a false start when he tried it on take one. And then Dylan said, I don't think I can make it all the way through this, which I wish was the truth. But um, we've heard him say that before and then continue to play the songs. Two more interruptions. An alternate take exists. And they kept the one where he says scapegoat instead of scapegoat. And um, I wish that they scapegoated this fucking song off the record. And that's all I got to say about about that. And some people could say, like, that's an emotional moment. And I'm like, no. No, it's just kind of embarrassing. Okay, I don't know when I'm going to fit this in again, so I'm just going to to say it here. So the scapegoat thing, I was like, is that Ugh. a thing? It cannot be a thing. No. I think he just said it wrong, which I don't think he's the first person in history to ever say it wrong because scapegoat's kind no. of a funny word. So I was like, I typed in scapegoat into Google. I got a ridiculous thing on Urban Dictionary that's very not true. And then this thing from uh, B, like as in the animal, a B-E-E, dictionary.com. Mm. It says scapegoat mm. or scapegoat. And then it goes on to say Leviticus 16, 5 through 10 describes an ancient ritual which a goat was symbolically laden with the sins of the people and driven out into the desert to the demon Azazel. In early English translations, confusion... Tran- Oh, my God. In early English translations, confusion led to this goat being called a scapegoat for escaped goat. A person or cause being sacrificed as a victim to spare the others is therefore referred to as a scapegoat. But then the last little piece of this paragraph, for some reason, says you load the burdens on. You don't scrape them off. And I was like, is that supposed Hmm. to be like trying to make a logical reason as to why people say scrape by accident other than it just being like a wrong turn of phrase like when people say um up the pike or instead of up the pipe or whatever you know what i mean like those little things where people just say things wrong uh or down the pike yeah that's what it is down the pike instead of uh down the pipe p-i-p-e whatever um it's i, I mean i said it backwards it's supposed to be pike but you know what i mean anyway i was like what is this article trying to tell me but there we go scrape goat Interesting that the word scrape is like part of that, like the scapegoat element of it. There is the word scrape that like is implied or something, but like, no, Bob Dylan, he wrote in the lyrics scapegoat. So he meant to say scape. Yeah. He just fucked it up. That's fine. He just fucked it up. And that's fine. And and what's funny about it is that this is one of the first songs by Bob Dylan that he allowed an insert to be put in. So it's funny that with a song that is an insert, they did not insert him getting scapegoat right. (laughs) They just, they did not have a take of him saying scapegoat or it wasn't good or it was to a different kind of, you know, cause th- this song is weird and it does a lot of what he does, which is he's playing it, but he's sort of playing it with the words. So it's kind of hard to do an insert when tempos can change. Oh yeah. And well, the other take that I have, that's only two minutes long is kind of a different tempo and you know, it's not worthy of listening to cause I don't like the song, but like, 
it's different, you know? Yeah, well, that's why I didn't even bother to learn to play it. So, like, because the, the song... The song is technically yeah. in the key of D, D major. It's a uh, it's the, in the key of C with a capo on the second fret. But because it's all timed, fuck like he does little changes to the chords. It's only like five chords, but he changes them up so much, and like the tempo is weird. And like you said, it's just following his voice. It just did not interest me to try to learn to play because it's just a poem right. set to to music that it's just kind of there to be there. Like it's not a song in the traditional sense of like he really wanted this music to matter. I don't think. I think he just wanted a background for his his poem. His poem. What you call poem. Yeah. So he, he knows what's going on here. And <laughs> I think that's, um, but he did end up doing, you know, like a couple takes on it, which is pretty wild. And, and then after this was over, he kept going with the day and he did, uh, the next song he did was, I don't believe you. She acts like we never have met, which we did mm-hmm. episode 53, um, our only one that we've done from this record. And I think thematically and song wise, it's, uh, a home run way more than this song is. And, um, yeah, he's never played it live, which I wonder why. Um, however, Gordon Lightfoot did sing a version of this on Ronaldo and Clara, his uh, movie from back in the Rolling Thunder days, which does make sense and is sounds very weird. And I didn't want to look it up. And he rehearsed it in 1978 at the Rundown Studios, which I don't have any evidence for. He did a lot of like songs, but usually just instrumentals and stuff. So I wonder if I wonder what that rehearsal even looked like. It could have just been one minute vamping and whatever, whatever. So. There's the song itself, but what are the events that led up to the song? The one thing I can give credit to the song for is that it is a narrative song. Like there is an actual narrative going on. All right, they're back. It's fucking annoying. There is a narrative going on, which is pretty interesting. (laughs) We're hearing this, right? Oh, yeah. This is not, this is... It's pretty funny, I gotta say. They're just, they're babies. I mean, I kind of am marveling at the childrenness of it all. Babies. Incredible. I really hope it. the mic picks it up. I'm sure it does. Oh, yeah, it's got to. Love it. Love it. The one thing I can give it credit for this song is that there is a narrative through line. I think everybody listening to it can tell there is a, I love this girl. Her family sucks. I got into a fight. Now my life is ruined. But is it ruined or am I free? You know, that kind of thing. So we're going to get into the lyrics and kind of the flow of the song in a minute. But I do want to talk about the events of the song itself. Um, Bob and Susie, or Suze, as we like to call her on this podcast, much to everybody's hatred. Oh, really? um, They were on and off. Yeah. Oh. They were on and off. Well, because that's not her name. It's Susie. (laughs) But I like Suze. Yeah, I know. I I understand. It's uh, her name is Susie, but I just can't. I know. It's hard. I just like it. I like it being Suze. Um, Bob yeah. and Susie. Susie. I'm going to I'm gonna be the right one, though. I'm going to say it right. You say it wrong. I'll say it right. And okay, we'll get good. Thank you. Best of both worlds. Um, although right. I'm going to definitely slip into it because her name comes up a lot. Um, Bob yeah. and Susie were on and off from 1961 to basically this song, 1964. Um, Bob Dylan, just to lay it all out, benefited immensely from the Rotolo family. That is Mary, the mom, Carla, the sister, and of course, Susie, Bob's girlfriend. Um, Mary, the mom dimmed on him first and almost immediately because he's just this bohemian kid. And we'll get into that a little bit later. And he apparently did not like Mary. Obviously she did not want his, her daughter to be with Bob. And that was a huge point of conflict as well. At this time, Bob was also crashing on Carla's couch. Carla worked, I believe for Alan Lomax and had an 
pretty impeccable record collection, had books galore, was an educated person. Bob spent a couple of months in 1961 living on her couch, consuming her records, reading her books, doing all of that. So it's kind of funny that he calls her a parasite later when you could almost imply that it was kind of the opposite between them. But she never saw it that way. In fact, she was like a big fan of Bob. She really liked Bob and they were friends, presumably. Um, Hmm. Bob and Susie had a tumultuous relationship, as we know. Um, Bob Dylan was, like Stuart Burns, a philanderer. He was (laughs) seeing women as his fame grew. As his fame grew, and his fame started to insert itself onto the Rotolo family in girls calling his their house, you know, to ask for uh. Bob, that kind of shit. So it's just sort of throwing things into uh, Susie's face, which eventually kind of pushes her to the edge. Um, Bob Dylan's darkness um, has been discussed a lot um, in his biographies, but in this podcast we've touched on it too. There is this kind of like element there um even in his lyrics that you can tell in this in this sort of stage but Susie was kind of like a wallflower so that's important to notice as well carla said that as bob got more famous Suze grew quote more vegetable like so clearly there's a dynamic um at play carla was mad at bob for quote emotionally blackmailing Susie, and Susie would later acknowledge that like yeah carla was uh, doing big sister shit Like, Bob hated that. But it was really just, like, looking out for her, right? And Bob just wanted Carla and Mary, the mom, to get out of the way so that I can hang out with Susie and have her all to myself. And they're like, no. So he's not wrong that they wanted the best for her, but it's totally disingenuous to make it some, you know, fucking parasitic, jealous relationship. They're a fucking family. It's kind of, come on, Bob, get it together. So apparently in March of 1964, they get into a huge fight. Um, Per Clinton Halen... The argument was over, quote, his possessiveness and philandering, during which Carla interceded on her sister's behalf, thus exposing herself to the man's verbal bayonet and personal enmity. Um, Bob and Carla apparently were on the floor wrestling with one another. Um, Paul Clayton, who was dating Carla around this time, and Barry Cornfield came over or were there during this, and they broke them up. And apparently Barry Cornfield said that Bob and Carla were, quote, incoherent in argument, and Susie was just sitting on the bed, dumbfounded, like in shock as to what's going on. And that was kind of the end of their relationship. Um, before this, Bob went on a road trip with uh, Paul Clayton um, and a couple of others and drove to Carmel, California, where he went to go see a one Joan Baez. Him and Joan Baez were obviously a thing at this time. And so just knowing that, I'm sure that was part and parcel of why this argument happened amongst all those other things too is again throwing this sort of shit into into Susie's face and seeing what she's going to do and I think that he thinks that she's not going to react so he can keep pushing her that's how I see this um another thread here that we might talk about a little bit is there's a pizza joint called Emilio's and apparently him and Susie had a big fight there too where Bob Dylan is like ranting about freedom talking about the concept of freedom um and that concept of freedom shows up not only in the great chimes of freedom on another side of Bob Dylan, but also at the very end of this song about the caged bird, you know, is a bird free or whatever, if he's chained to the the skyway. Right. So that, that concept of freedom, I think is another thing that sort of undergirds all of this. He then went off to Europe, went off to Greece, met with a bunch of other people, had sex with tons of other people and, um, you know, wrote this verbal harangue 
to Susie uh, while in Europe, and then he came back and um, recorded it in the studio. And as Bob was crafting the song, I think he just couldn't accept the end of their relationship. Um, there's other lyrics in there that he didn't put in where he kind of gives the game away. He says, quote, we grew up at each other. We grew up at each other in the most awful way. So I think he was already kind of like maybe over the relationship, you know, because that's a pretty that's a pretty damning line. Um, then there's also other writing where it says he wants to, qu- quote, to protect her from hurt. I thought to keep her away from my reckless escapades, which to me says I want to do whatever I want to do. And Susie doesn't need to know about that. So I'm, I should be able to keep doing that without her knowing. So, again, we said uh, he went in on June 9th, 1964 to record the song. No one could talk him out of doing that. He did do it. The urgency of that day works for a lot of songs, but I don't think that it works for this song. I think it's too long and it's too boring and it's too random at points that I want to get into. Um, Robert Shelton would later write the biographer of Bob and a contemporary of his. He said, quote, that song talking about bad in plain D just went too far. There are some things that you just can't do no matter how much power you have. In 1985, Bob Dylan said, I don't write confessional songs. Well, actually, I did write one once, and it wasn't very good. It was a mistake to record it, and I regret it. Let's talk about that mistake. Um, I was going to talk about the music, but you kind of already touched on the music element of it yourself. So with all of that information and musically, does that does that does the fact that it's a real argument change at all your, you know, imagining of the song? No, just because I assumed it was like the yeah. I think the biggest shortcoming of this song is that it's so on the nose but i think that that's kind of fun like if the because the title is ballad in plain d right like he's not referring to the musical key that it's in. he's referring to i think the the openness and and uh clarity of this song where usually everything's so couched in metaphor and it's twice removed and probably didn't even happen it's just a story this one really felt like oh yeah you this is you breaking up with your girlfriend because you can't get over your bullshit <laughs> like right you, because you're a tiny little man who instead of recognizing that you have huge flaws and weaknesses and that you're probably not a great person you're gonna blame it on everything else around you so i didn't i it just seemed true um Right. You know, not that that Dylan hasn't effectively made something seem real when it was totally fabricated, but I think this one was pretty, pretty obvious uh, in its nature. Um, the only other thing I could say, music-wise, I really, I think there's a touch too much reverb on the vocals, um, mm. but that's not, you know, whatever. That's just a very little nitpick, and I really enjoyed the harmonica. Like, there's almost yeah. an entire verse, I think, of of just harmonica and the way that it's really restrained in that it follows the cadence of the or like the meter of his vocals throughout it it's really cool i like that a lot um and i like that he didn't and thank god because the song is already eight minutes i'm glad he didn't do some extended outro with the harmonica that lasted like two extra fucking minutes because i could see him doing that so that uh that's that on that but yeah i just think that for someone who typically in my you know experience with him it goes out of his way to wrap stuff up in a million layers of metaphor this one was just like yeah i had a fight with my girlfriend and then we broke up oh uh, i will also say the vocal quality his voice is really clear and this is like people who don't listen to bob dylan thinks he sounds like this this is that era of his time like you know the kind of nasally whatever so this is classic dylan voice if you will although it depends on, you know, classic Dylan, depending on who you ask, will be 
many different things. True, true. But I mean, there the, some of the big song, the, his biggest songs, Chimes of Freedom is a, a pretty good example. But I mean, It Ain't Me, Babe, is probably the most famous from this record. And, you know, I think if people hear that, that's a timeless song, a very Bob Dylan-y song and iconic, you know. And so if you're listening to that voice and you're like, oh, I love that. And then you hear this, you'd be like, oh, that is the same voice. I totally get it. You know, that kind of thing. So, mm. which is nice. And I, I'm personally, I really love his voice. I, I thought it was great. So you're sure, saying yeah. that it's not in D like th- there's, is there, it is, does he it play is. D? Oh, okay. He does. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's, it's in the key of D, but it's gotcha. technically in the key of C major, but it, the capo is on the second fret of the guitar. Mm. So it does make it into the only reason I even say that is because for some reason, the guy at Dylan chords like had a, okay, let me, let me quote from, okay. from Eyolf. <laughs> yes. Uh, probably Dylan's most misnamed song since mm. it's not really in plain D, but in plain C with a capo on the second mm. fret, which of course turns it into a D, but hardly plain <laughs> from a guitar perspective anyway. And I was like, I don't know, man, putting a capo to change the key of a song is pretty fucking typical. So it's funny that you have a bone to pick with this. I love anyway. it though. I, I mean, anything, any bones, I welcome them. I welcome them. <laughs> you're, 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 you're trying to diffuse the situation, Kelly. No, I say, bring the knives, bring them out, baby. I love it. We're even hitting the music where it hurts. He's going to say nothing about the lyrical content. It's about the music for him. And I appreciate that because I have no problems with the music, but now I do. Thank God. Uh, yeah, no, I thought the harmonica was nice. I think you're right. Um, thank God for no long outros. He does, you know, he does do that a lot in future songs. I mean, and Desolation Row is a great example. That's what it comes to mind right off the bat, mainly because of how this song ends. And he that's a lot of harmonica, but also that's a great song. So I'm cool with it. Yeah, if he just made this a 10-minute song to make a 10-minute song, mm, yeah, mm, be, no thanks. No. And it, it Ain't Me, Babe ends the record and is the next song after this. And you're like, I just you got to get to that, man. You got to skip this song and get to that. That is a good song. This is not a good song. Um, so I broke up this song into six parts. Uh, so I want to go over them. So we're not going to go lyric by lyric, but it is linear. So we're going to go like verse by verse. So I'll let you know what the verses are if you're following along at home. And I just want to kind of talk about the flow and kind of fill in some more gaps and stuff about some of our main characters and maybe get to the bottom of what the fuck Bob is on about at some points. Um, so part one called Once Loved a Girl Um we begin with the description of the narrator's uh, ideal woman. Uh-oh. Classic Bob Dylan alert. <laughs> Not great. So we've talked a lot about Bob Dylan's uh, the, the mother whore complex and um, describing her with the innocence of a lamb and gentle like a fawn is not ever going to age well and has not aged well. And, and I think makes the song right off the bat incredibly unpalatable. And I know some people won't want to hear that and are going to like be maybe a little bit angry at me even saying that but I think it just it takes every ounce of agency from Susie and tosses it out the window she is now just a pawn and that sucks it's tough to listen to in the realm of things you could say in a song where you're trying to be a dick about somebody's life and family and whatever I don't know the fact that you're like yes infantilizing and, and making her into just like this person with no real character I don't know. he's just saying she's nice and gentle and it's fine and thank god you know virginal hopefully oh god i hope she's never laid with another man <laughs> but i, I guess know. that's for me that that's i get i i know that i'm being too harsh but i'm what i'm saying is that the quality of this song for me is the honesty of its depiction and i believe what bob is saying is what he feels and he will say that almost verbatim later which i'll get into but um 
I don't think his characterization is correct. So, like, automatically we have an unreliable narrator and what is about to be eight minutes of bullshit. It's hard to, like, swallow that later, I guess is what I'm saying. Like, as a song, just, like, for a first time, I think people are going to be thrown off by various things. Like, does this work out? Hmm, I don't think it's going to work out. (laughs) Stay tuned to see if it does, um, if it works in 2022. But, like, but I think that, like, for somebody that does know Bob Dylan, that part is, I think that's tough. Because it's just, like, mm, Mm hmm. These are kind of the worst tendencies, my man. This is these are the worst tendencies, and this is your worst song with those tendencies, uh, I think by far. So maybe it's just me feeling that way. But I think you're right. It's I mean it's pretty weak sauce. It's not like it's not that big of a deal. But I just feel bad for Susie. I guess that's really that's my point. Oh yeah, well that's a, that is the theme of the song. If nothing else, you should definitely yeah. feel bad for Susie and her whole fucking family because they had to deal with this little asshole. <laughs> I, amen. Uh, yeah, I once loved a girl. Um, reminds me of Don't Think Twice It's Alright I Once Loved a Girl A Child I'm Told But Don't Think Twice It's Alright A better song I, Again I have so many Like hearing him sing stuff I'm like Oh that's a reference To something later That I want to listen to More than this So this song is tough Because it's just Reminding me of better things From Bob Dylan um, This song Just so I can get it Out of the way But I think it's kind of important Is the traditional element of it I think that the first verse And the last verse Tie into what Bob started out As like a traditional song and in between, he filled with a very personal song. So it's kind of a strange yeah. being in and of itself. Um, just to get it out of the way, Once I Had a Sweetheart, also known as The Forsaken Lover, is the melody at play and kind of like the structure. Oh. And then at the very end, um, where he's having this you know, question back and forth about him being a bird in the skyway um, people have, I think it's like Clinton Halen, multiple people, uh, Michael Gray, bring up... Uh, a poem called the man in the wilderness um, that goes something like this. It says, you know, the man in the wilderness asked of me how many strawberries grew in the sea. I answered him uh, as I thought good, as many red herrings as grow in the wood. And there's a few of like little back and forths like that little riddle things. And um, I I think a lot of people see that in the finale, you know? So what that tells me is that Bob started out with a very traditional, I once loved a girl, right? How many songs start like that once upon a time. And then he had this little riddle at the end. And he loved those two things so much, but unfortunately he then sat down and wrote 11 more verses in between that just got away from him. I think like the song right. just never had to be like this. So it's really funny that he went traditional and then filled it in with a very contemporary modern romance that falls apart type of thing, which is interesting in and of itself. I don't fault the guy, but weird. What a weird veneer to put it all in. Very strange. Yeah, I mean, he just, he needed to get it out, clearly. I mean, you you were having some feelings, but uh, you should have listened. And he obviously recognized that in later in his life, that you should have listened to your friends and not uh, not put it on the record, buddy. You could have even recorded it. You could have recorded it. Like, if you really need to get that fucking thing out of you with your guitar and everything, record it. And then let's just throw that in the trash. <laughs> yeah, make Columbia pay for it and just don't do it. How many songs on this record yeah. didn't make it onto the album? I mean, it could have just been in the vaults, which we'll talk about a little bit later as well. Uh, part two. I call it Family Matters. This is where we meet the family, Kelly. We love the family. Um, We learn that the narrator stole the innocent girl from her family, but only because they're a bunch of losers, you know? They would be so cool. He's doing her a favor. Oh, yeah. Like, they'd be so cool, the narrator says, if, you know, they just weren't so jealous of us. God, come on. What's wrong with you guys? (laughs) Um, So these these verses are kind of tough. This is basically verse two through... Four. This is where we are introduced to 
the the family suffering from the failures and of the two sisters I love the young which is weird but um is also kind of a traditional song there's a song called the Twa sisters that goes uh they're loved Twa sisters in a bower the youngest of them oh she was the flower which is probably a nod to that as well but also weird another little traditional element that is immediately ripped out by then having uh her parasite sister bound by her boredom her pride to protect um it's pretty brutal so that is like the most brutal line and you know these songs kind of just float through my ears i don't really latch on to stuff the first time around but that was like his her parasite sister's like, jesus christ mom we're going through the, the jugular dude and it's you just are. the fact that it none of this is couched in you know this theoretical family it has nothing like this so specifically talking about these people like wow that's uh that's intense man that's some rap uh beef level uh going after someone right I know it's it is really really in, intense. Yeah, so I mean this is probably the part to talk about Mary and Carla. So we'll start with Mary the mom. Um, not a whole lot is like necessary to be known. Um, her right when they met, her her husband died. They were in unions. They were workers. You know, they're just a hard scrabble family making it. Um, and I think politically, sort of influenced Suze, who then influenced Bob. You know, later on with with the with the politics. Um, but. In No Direction Home by Robert Shelton, and this is like interviews with Carla, said she said, crazily enough, that in the fall of 1961, so like right after they first met, um, quote, in the fall of 1961, my mother knew who he was. Um, and later on, she said, quote, she felt like he was taking advantage of everyone around to get ahead. She called him a sponge to his face. Dylan could fight with anybody's mother, but the fact that she saw through him, which no one else did, scared him. He respected our mother as a person but he always hated her. And then Clinton Halen also notes that uh, in the writings for this that we have from like Berlin and from his European trip, he, um, in lyrics, um, he describes his quote, uh, Mary coming off worse than, um, than in the song. Um, he says, quote, um, describes her as quote, overly possessive woman who, despite her constant creeping, overlooked her daughter's creative instincts completely, which is probably where the jealousy element comes in because there's this element of like, you don't let your daughter, you know, do stuff or whatever, which I don't know if that's true or not. You know, there might be a grain of truth into all of this, but it's hard to tell between Bob's, you know, lyrics, like if he's just salty or if maybe he's not wrong about some of the elements, but who knows? I, I mean, I'm sh- sure uh, whatever parents took it along with their kids sometimes. I'm sure there's a little bit of that. But for me, this my take on this is one, he's projecting the jealousy thing because she, Carla was pretty entrenched in the folk scene already. I mean, she was palling around with Alan Lomax and she write, wrote her a little bit of her own songs, right? And she like was doing her own thing. She was in the scene. So I think if anybody was jealous, it was him because she was already entrenched. And also, uh, I think that he's, I think, okay, so if folk music then was kind of like what punk, like the whole vibe and everything you know, like the, the proto whatever, the proto progenitor of punk in my head, at least in my, uh, my head canon. Um, I just imagine him in this song as some stinky fucking gutter punk who's couch surfing because he's fucking homeless. And yeah, I'm sure leeching off of everyone to get whatever he could to keep himself going and to get ahead. Absolutely. I a hundred percent believe that being the truth. And I bet he was insufferable to be around. 
I have no doubt that he was constantly navel gazing and pontificating about every little thing because he thought he was the smartest fucking person that ever lived. And just like, I'm sure that he was a nightmare to be around. So imagine you're a 40 year old, 40 something year old woman who brings home, like her daughter brings home this fucking idiot who doesn't have a job, who doesn't have a place to live. And he's constantly around and he's just like, won't shut the fuck up at dinner and just constantly telling you about how you should think about this. And, oh, well, have you thought about this? And, oh, well, I know for sure that you're wrong about this. Can you imagine? <laughs> like, I, right. I would have hated him. I think that's true. I mean, I, I think that that's, there's probably a grain of truth to all of that. You know, and a lot of the friends that he made and a lot of the connections are from the Rotola family. I mean, they, they had soirees, if you want to call it that, you know, gatherings with people who play music. You know, and I think it's hard because you want to begrudgingly, you have to give Bob the due because he's fucking Bob fucking Dylan. So it sucks that this stupid, scruffy, bemused kid turns out to be who he turns out to be yeah. because in reality yeah I think you're right it's just like god fuck this guy he's just gonna hopefully flitter away mm-hmm. and then it's like oh great <laughs> now we're in this guy's fucking biography that would be like you know it's worst. just like how annoying would that be Ugh. it would be so annoying just the, the most annoying uh yeah I think you're right about Carla like I mean like the parasite sister she said to, to Robert Shelton later quote I was no parasite I always worked I always contributed to the food and the rent and it's like Carla girl you don't have to say that please don't you don't have to justify yourself here we know what's going on but but you know it is interesting this idea of like staying on the couch on her couch for two months it was only supposed to be for like a weekend and he just stayed and she didn't mind because he was a good musician and he's like is interesting and likes to learn and likes to talk and she had no problem with it and she said it was weird because he was this guy who was just kind of a weirdo loser and then he got scooped up to make that first record and she said it almost was like flipping a switch it was like going from one day where he had no idea what he was doing to the moment that he like finalized what he was going to do on that first record, he it's like he knew he was going to be famous and he knew he, he had his whole life mapped out ahead of him. And so when he left, he left as a different human being than he came in. And she was like marveling at how it's so weird to think back on 20 years ago when that interview was done at how much he changed like in that time, mm. like even in that moment. And then he became so famous, you know, this fight is happening three years after they all were friends, you know, like some of these elements, 1961, it was another four years or three years before the fight you know so these guys got to keep going in their lives as bob dylan becomes bob dylan he becomes famous you know Mm. um yeah carla you know said that she knew bob dylan's powers too she said quote he could look you he, he could look at you and pick out a weakness and suddenly grab it and use it on you which is what he did with everybody he'd find your vulnerable spots and just demolish them it was just devastating the way that he could twist somebody's words back on themselves and make them feel that he was right and they were wrong brutal yeah and i think that's kind of like a through line about bob especially in this time frame and kind of the people he was hanging out with and kind of the snobbiness that's going to kind of go into a height um in a couple of years but 64 to 66 before the motorcycle accident if that happened he was everybody just yeah said he was a dick you know insufferable hard to be around and it's like it's easy to see how i can't imagine it got better after he started getting some fame because all it does is put half behind his argument like I already knew I was better than all of you and I've completely forgotten and never appreciated the fact that you let me live on your goddamn couch for two months while I did nothing except make your life harder than it needed to be like ugh, ugh. amen ugh, I cannot I could not be around here. T- tough stuff see here we go here we go we're getting to the crux of it Kelly you're, you're turning sides I feel it <laughs> part three Bob Dylan philanderer uh 
Our narrator, vague post, this is going to be verse 5 through verse 7. Our narrator is what we today would call vague posting um, about quote-unquote what he did and all of the quote-unquote lies. And he knows, um, though he's incapable of accepting, that he fucked everything up. And through ham-fisted metaphors and silly phrasing, he attempts poetics to get him out of trouble. And I don't think it's working for him. (laughs) This is the part of the song for me that it all falls apart. I don't mind the vague posting verse five where he's like myself for what I did, the lies, the could be dream lover we could have had. I think that that actually works as a, as lyrically and like, that's pretty common for songs, right? That's a good example of being vague, but also like, you know, engaging. Then he gets on some shit where he's talking about magnificent mantelpieces, his heart being clipped the sin of love's false security. Yeah. Um, tombstones of damage. Like, I'm like, I know what these words are. And I am not a dumb boy. And I appreciate the use of metaphor and symbols and all of that. But I'm going to, uh, because I don't like this song, I'm going to be dumb boy. I'm going to be Mr. Dumb Dumb for this episode. <laughs> and I'm going to say, this shit's, I don't get it. I don't fucking know. These are question mark, question mark, question marks after them. I don't understand. Yeah. I don't know what he's talking about. I don't know either. The tombstones of damage. Where are you? Why are you? Where did these come from? You know, you've got to lace the symbology through the whole thing. You can't just all of a sudden just start talking about tombstones and mantelpieces and hearts being clipped. I like the clipping of the heart, but I don't understand it. Uh, I don't get it. I actually wrote uh, after that the unknown consciousness I possessed in my grip first. I was like, what the fuck is he trying to say here? I think he did too many too many little metaphor simile moments and was like, I forgot what I was trying to say. <laughs> it sounds okay together. Clipped and gripped. They crypt, clipped, uh, clipped, grip, slipped. It all works. That's all I need. Yep. You know, I'm just rhyming at this point, you know, because I need to make this 13 verses long. I don't need to. I could just take these ones out, make this a more palatable song. But now I'm going to keep them in. I will Fuck say it. I do like the line, the silhouetted anger to manufactured peace, answers of emptiness, too. voices, vac- vacancy. I was like, what a fun way to say passive aggressive. That's a cute little like poetic way to say that. Agreed. And I was just about to say that that the silhouetted anger to manufactured peace. What a great like foreshadowing for like what really happens, you know, mm-hmm. like that's going to walk us into our fight and kind of like where they're at at the end of the song. Lovely. Lovely. I don't know if I really care that much about voice vacancies and that's another question mark, question mark for Dum Dum over here. But like, but yeah, the silhouetted that, cause that's just uh, passive aggressive. And that line, that singular line is really evocative to when you are in an uncomfortable situation. Like, or if you're around a couple that's just been fighting, you know, and then like everybody shut up mm. because we're like, ha 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 ha. We know that everyone's really upset, but we're just going to not talk about it. But you know, like in one second, <sighs> it's going to explode. Ugh, like that's, that's oh, yeah. really visceral, that feeling. And he's just like, yeah, almost reveling in it, which is weird. Um, So the final line of verse seven, I want to talk about a little bit more. Till the tombstones of damage again, question mark, question mark, question mark. Uh, Read me no questions. Why? Question mark, question mark. Uh, But, and then quote, please, what's wrong and what exactly, what's exactly the matter? Who is saying that? That is in quotes in the lyrics from Bob. Do you have any, did that strike you at all? Who do you think is asking that question? Yeah, I don't know, because the whole time, clearly, it's Bob saying all this stuff, and then suddenly he's quoting someone. But it seems like of the people in this situation, you know, being Susie, her sister, and him in this, you know, fight scene, wouldn't it be him saying it? I mean, I just don't know. I mean, I guess anyone, I guess Susie could have been saying it to him, because if he was losing his shit. Well, that I read it both ways, and I was trying to think about it, because if, if Susie was the one saying it, 
um, then it's like our innocent, gentle fawn character. Um, it's understandable because she's like actually wanting to know what's wrong. And like she wants him to open up and like opening up could have saved the relationship. So like we even have the narrator not doing that. Like we learn that he does not actually do that. So he's sort of seeing the seeds that are going to undo him later. So I kind of like that reading of it. But if it is the narrator, which it could be, I think that makes it like really sinister because if we're taking it even in a Bob Dylan type of way, I, I read it as like, you know, baby stop crying just to bring up another bad song. Um, but like, I want you to tell me exactly what's wrong because in the way that I read it was like, if it is Bob, if it is the narrator asking it or Bob, then he wants to be able to refute a very specific point. So you're crying right now, Susie, what are you exactly crying about? Because I can piecemeal lie to you and fix this, but I will not talk about structural. You know, we, we built this relationship on sand, so we can't talk about the structure, but I can tell you that I'm not seeing that girl, but I won't stop seeing girls, right? Other people. I won't do anything big to fix our relationship, but I can stop you from right now feeling bad because I have the words to do it. So I don't know. So it depends on who's asking that question because it's pretty dark if it's Bob, but it makes total sense if it's Susie being like, baby, just tell me what's wrong. You know, and I think it's interesting too, to note that in 1963, Newsweek outed Bob Dylan as being Robert Zimmerman from Hibbing, Minnesota. And I didn't really think about it, but I wonder how much Susie actually knew about Bob's life. Like, I mean, I want to believe that she knows that his name is Robert Zimmerman and that he's from Minnesota. But I kind of, I mean, I don't know. And I just think it's crazy too, where Bob is talking about all of this, obs- uh, you know, obfuscating his, his, his lying and just not telling her what's going on. And it's like, th- this is getting down to like who you are fundamentally as a person, which I think is pretty crazy if we read that into the song, because then this guy just seems like a fucking dick. Like, he's just lying completely. And why does he even have these strong feelings if he's not even open to being, like, honest about his fucking name and his, where he's from, whose family yeah. are? I think that's crazy. I mean, I would highly doubt that she knew him at all. I mean, I, I think that part of leaving Minnesota is I'm going to reinvent myself and I never have to explain myself to anyone ever again. I can be whoever the fuck I want. So why would he? But yeah, I don't think that's implicit to the song, but it just, it makes me think because even like the mom saying like, I know who you are. Like, obviously she didn't know you were Robert Zimmerman from Hibbing, but I think that thread of like, I can see right through you is something Bob Dylan in that moment oh, yeah. loathed because he was pissed about Newsweek. He was pissed about all his friends back in Hibbing talking about Robert Zimmerman, you know, because that he never wanted to go back to that. He didn't want that to be a thing. And I'm, I'm sure his tr- career trajectory mm-hmm. changed from that moment. You know, he might not have ever had songs where he talks about him being named Zimmy and stuff like he, he really did accept that over time. And it's weird to think if we never really knew about that, what would it do for his art? I don't know. He would have just pretended to be this person the whole time. I don't know. Interesting. Nonetheless, part four, Kelly tumbling dice. This is where our characters explode either from the piecemeal fixing of the relationship or from Susie's legitimate questions and bubbling over from him not being honest depending on how you read the last verse. And this is like the demise of the relationship. And I, and I wrote here, love really do be a battlefield. (laughs) And this is verse eight through 10. Um, I liked this. This was probably the best part about the song because I really like, like the, the tragic figure, her sister did shout, leave me alone. God damn you get out. It's all, it, it feels good. I'm like, yeah, get it. Go Carla. 
there's definitely a, um, a little more imagery in, in these parts. I was kind of curious who is supposed to be the king and the queen. Like, is it supposed to be Susie and Bob or is it supposed to be Bob and Susie's sister, Carla? You know, like who exactly are supposed to be the queen or like Susie's parents? Like, I, I guess I didn't realize that um, Joaquim or whatever the father's name was had been dead. So I was like, maybe it's her parents, but I didn't realize that he wasn't around. So. I don't know who exactly the king and the queen are supposed to be. It feels a little too obvious to say that it's Bob and her because I don't know. Maybe I guess it is because they're saying that that the relationship broke out. But I I just couldn't tell 100 percent through the song when he was talking about Carla and when he was talking about Susie because I feel like he kind of slips in and out of it sometimes. But I guess it's just supposed to be Susie. The obvious answer is the right one for this song. I think so. I think so. Yeah, I think that's that's fair. The kids are. But I um, even though as a line, I and my arm are turning about is cool yeah. that one made me a little bitter because i was like man you're like i don't think he was trying to conjure this image but you're not some fucking knight you're not the hero in That's this goddamn said. story you little dick <laughs> i know no i just thought a white knight you know just the classic mm-hmm. like totally te- dos fedora yeah i mean it's tough stuff although um again I, I gotta put question marks next to it but uh nailing her to the ruins of her pettiness is fucking epic fucking epic line i don't know exactly what it means i, I don't know in the context what it means are you punching her in the face are you saying mean things to her? Like, I don't really know what the nailing her to the room. I mean, is that it's a Jesus metaphor, I guess, nailing and putting her up on the cross, right? Uh, the only thing I can think is that, again, I think this is all twisted in his head that, like, they were all so uh, blessed by the fact that Bob Dylan, capital B, capital D, was in their presence for so long and that they got to be around this genius person that they should have been kissing his fucking feet the whole time that he stayed there. I think that that line is supposed to be directed, at least my read of it at Carla and being like, now Mm. that I'm gone, you're just have a bullshit life and you're welcome because you couldn't get over your bullshit. And so I can't stay here anymore. And now your life's going to be lesser for it because I'm the best thing that ever happened to you and this whole family. Probably. I mean, actually that's, I think that's right. Yeah. That's tough. That's real tough. Uh, I'd hate it. Screaming battlefields soon, soon shattered as a child neath her shadows. Again, question marks. I just don't know. I mean, I think your your reading of it is right, but this is where that clunkiness just it it falls for me. I don't I don't like it. It just doesn't it doesn't work. None of this works. There's too much thought that you have to put into like, hmm. I know what pettiness is, but hmm, nailing nailing her to the ruins of it. Now that's cool. I'll give you that. It's fucking cool. What? Like what? <laughs> You know what? It's just, it's too much for me. So yeah, anyways, that's the uh, relationship falling apart. Um, you know, part five, the final part. So verse 11 through 13, uh, I called it bird on a wire. Uh, our narrator loses the battle and is licking his wounds, their wounds. You know, I guess it doesn't have to be a, a he, you know, it's still a narrator, not technically mm-hmm. Bob Dylan, although we, we can't help but t- talk about Bob. Um, we get a lot of anticipation for blood on the tracks. I keep thinking about better fucking albums and better songs <laughs> as our narrator cries out of his window. Um, but isn't it like better to like, not, you know, be in a relationship, bro. Right. Um, this, um, yeah, I, 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 you know, for what it's worth, like the ending is pretty good. I, I like verse 11 where he's fucking gagging, doubling over tears, blinding, like shit's pretty visceral. I'm like, yeah, okay. All right. If you're really feeling it, I think he did a pretty good job of like, and he says loves ashes too. I'm like, mm, any dum dum, I get that. Loves ashes. There we go. <laughs> now we're working with something I can get on whole, on board with, you know. Yeah, it's, but uh, that's kind of where it ends. Yeah. I was the the last verse because that's the mm. most poemy one to me. 
Um, so he's like, my friends from the prison, obviously he means of love, of relationships, what a prison right. it is to be a victim of, what does he say? Love something earlier in the song? I don't care. Whatever. Um, love, oh, sin love sin or whatever yeah. the sin of. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Hang on. Let me just get it. So we have it. Um, uh, to the sin of love's false security. Yeah, right. The, the Again, just too wordy. Person. I'm like, to the sin <laughs> of love's, love has false security, the sin of it. And I'm beholden to the sin or not. And it's like too much, man. So he's anyways. How, how good does it feel to be free? They're like, aren't you so stoked? You're not with her anymore. Mm -hmm. And I mysteriously answer our birds free from the change of the skyway. Okay. So is he saying in this line, is it supposed to mean like, just, just cause you're not shackled doesn't mean that you're not still like limited or like stuck in. Right. Or like pigeonholed just because my, I don't have a little chain on my bird leg. Doesn't mean that I'm still necessarily free. Cause like I still have to fly, you know, birds gotta fly. Fish gotta swim. So aren't we all still just like trapped really in this game? Is that what he's trying to say? I, I, yeah, no, I think so. Like, I think that, the, like, it's an open air prison. Like, just because I, I don't look like I'm trapped, I love her, so I'm trapped forever, type of thing. Like, okay. I, I, it's kind of a, it is a question mark because I do think you can kind of read it both ways, sort of. Like, because you could answer the next verse could be, yeah, yeah, they are free. Like our <laughs> yeah, birds man. free birds from the chains of the fly. skyway. Yeah. <laughs> and then the, yeah. Yeah. Says the friend I know says the narrator and then we're done. And it's like, Oh, that clarified that that was a rhetorical question. You see, it's either rhetorical or it's like, it is an actual question. Like, and the answer is no, right. You are free. Like, that's the thing. I think he's implying that he is not free because he loves Sue's and just because he's off gallivanting around, continuing on his exploits, doesn't mean that he's not still in love with her or impacted by it, right? That's that's got to be the way we. Yeah. Is that right? I don't know. Otherwise, what the hell are we doing? Maybe he just got distracted. Otherwise, he's like, oh man, birds. <laughs> no birds. Well, that's if Kendra was here. It's birds. Yeah. I mean, that's. <laughs> yeah, birds are great, and we, you know, birds on a wire. We have a joke about that too. Like, and obviously, birds aren't real. Is a whole like fun conspiracy theory that makes fun of conspiracy theories um, with a guy driving around that just has birds aren't real. They're just listening devices and they're on chains and you know, all of the, whatever it is. I'm very funny stuff, but that's, you can't help but think about that. You know, the whole time I'm doing this. And for me, anybody who's heard the record, black crow blues is a song, the second song on the record. And when he talks about birds, I'm like, I just want to go back and listen to that. Like, don't remind me of better songs, Bob. Come on. Also, the prison thing where it's like all my friends in prison, very random. Uh, I but I guess they're in prison because they're in relationships. He yeah. repurposes that for the end of, I think, Desolation Row, where everybody's writing him letters from prison. And it's like, good. If there's any good to come out of this, <laughs> if we want to read it like that, then like, good. I'm glad that this exists then because then we get Desolation Row. And we didn't talk about it, but verse 12 before the final verse like the wind knocks at my window. I'm like too many windows. Last week we did simple twist of fate window, window, window oh, yeah. all the time. And like, you know, he's like, you know, um, I hope that the next person you're with knows how precious, um, she is. Right. And, and we, I talked last week in simple or last time on simple twist of fate about a song called, if you see her say hello, it's sort of the inverse of, if you see her say hello, instead of saying, I hope that the next person knows how great you are. In that song, it's, I hope that you remember how great I am, which Mm -hmm. Bob has said as well. And like, you know, trying to reach out to Susie later, I think he wants to remind her, hey, we used to have something, blah, blah, blah. I think that that's also like part of this song is that fucking undeniable, like angst about wanting to continue to be with her. And the whole time I was like thinking about Blood on the Tracks because we just did Simple Twist. And I'm like, I like seeing Blood on the Tracks, not just as like a 
divorce record or a Sarah record, but it is like, it's gotta be a Susie Sarah tag team championship production. (laughs) And I just imagine them tagging one another in to like beat the living shit out of Bob in his brain. And I fucking love that (laughs) idea where he just gets his ass beat and he writes beautiful songs about it later instead of this. This is like a, such a, an amateur, um, you know, production for what he's going to do on Blood on the Tracks and how good that's going to be talking about these very same things and just doing it as a grown up. You know, I don't want to fault the kid too much. He's 23 years old. You know, it's a very 23 year old song to make, you know, oh, yeah. so I don't want to be too oh, yeah. mad at him. But like, fuck, fuck, Bob, come on. Yeah, I will say, um, so spoiler alert for later, I put a song on our playlist from um, the Postal Service that it's not my favorite song on that album, but it is one I thought of immediately because we're like, okay, well, let's think of mean spirited songs or whatever. And all I could think about was like, you know, songs that I listened to when I got broken up with these kind of things. And that song uh, the woman has agency because she guessed like there is a female vocalist on that song who was like, you were so- no, no, no. You were misrepresenting everything. You keep lying to yourself 100 percent about yourself and about what our relationship was. And if you don't get your shit together, you're just going to keep making the same mistakes and hurting yourself and everyone around you over and over again. Like that never happened. The storybook version of what you think happened in our relationship is all in your head, man. And I think that that's such a good answer to this song. Like I wish. Susie and Sarah or all of them anyone that's been jilted by Bob Dylan had a chance to be like no 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 (laughs) that is not what happened you're a fucking liar could you imagine them over like nice folksy like guitars just like roasting him this sounds so fun it would be so good Get Joan on there. Get, get Joan, Joan on, on the there track. too. Exactly. We <laughs> the same thought. Joan could put it all together. I mean, if these girls aren't a musician, exactly. You know, let Joan do the do the yeah. you know the do the music all. and let them sing it. Let's go. Yeah. I mean, I'm I'm with you. It's like at the end too. All I could think as well is like because it's a young song. I like identify with the end where he's like. I I think that he's just not happy in the relationship. And a lot of this he might have written after the fight. But I think a lot of it is like ideas and metaphors that he had for when he was unhappy being with Susie. And I think it all comes out in this like sort of thing where it feels like a narrative that is a through line. But it's not. And I think Simple Twist of Fate, weirdly enough, I'm glad that we got the song back to that back to back because... That did a lot for me. Not only is it a better song, and I liked listening to that last time, but it does, it it shows a more mature brain if he is sort of critiquing the idea of a simple twist of fate. Because I think here, the the guy at the very end, if he is asking a rhetorical question because he still feels imprisoned, I think that he doesn't understand that like there is no such thing as a simple twist of fate. It is all willed into existence like everything that you do is willed into existence so you want the freedom because you 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 don't have to be chained you don't have to do this so rhetorical or not you are no longer in that relationship but it's not because of anything it's because of you you made all of this happen and i don't think he's willing to come to terms with that and this is where i get mad about people like saying that you can't understand this song if you've never been through anything. Like I think everyone can identify with something like this. Everybody goes on to want to do other things in their lives. And something that gets in the way is a desire to go somewhere new or meet new people or whatever. That's going to, you know, I don't know, contradict what another partner wants. Right. And that's going to be a classic divide between people. And it's just, I think you're just too young to understand that this is just an end of a relationship, but it's not some epic 
I'm going to be trapped like a bird in the sky. I don't know. I, it, it's, I don't really know how, if I'm making any sense. I feel no, like I'm I rambling mean, here. I think that you can, you can only write this song when you're young. Uh, and when it like, this is not his first relationship, but maybe his most serious one up to that point. Yeah, so, so. I, again, I can't help but think that you're, he's just deluded. I have been this guy. I can absolutely relate yeah, to the song. Too. Maybe that's why, uh, you know, I'm don't read it as bad because I had these bad ideas. I can empathize with what he's he's feeling and saying in this 100% because I did that. I had a very brief but very intense and tumultuous relationship that I felt like the character in the, the Postal Service song. Like I thought this relationship was one way and it wasn't until I had distance and time and growth right. and experience that I was like, oh yeah, I was a crazy asshole <laughs> and I deserved yeah. everything I got and she should have broken up with me way before she did. I'm an idiot. But in the moment yeah. you're like, God, I did everything I could. I was such a hero. She was, was like right. fucking lucky to be with me. I was 100% right. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I mean, so, that, but, and I guess that's 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 what I'm saying too. Yeah, I mean, that's I I felt the exact I felt that way as well. You know, where in, in after it's all over, you justify what happened, right? So even you feeling like you're still in prison or whatever, you think Bob in this song thinks that he did everything right. He stood up for her and blah blah blah, and he can't believe that she would leave, right? Because he's the best thing since sliced bread. Mm-hmm. And it's like not until later you realize, like, no, I don't think either of you wanted to be together. Not really. Yeah. Not like that. But you can keep and like. I, that's the, yeah. the problem with, you know, time and being human is like you can really convince Tough. yourself one way or the other and you could come around full circle on stuff. You could think mm. that it was one way and then be like, oh, yeah, no, I, I was totally wrong. But then still romanticize the idea. That's the problem. It's like you I've yeah. done this m- numerous times where you decide this ideal thing that it happened or it didn't, but maybe it still could. So you just dwell, especially if you're the dump E in any relationship. You're like, what could I have done differently? Uh, maybe it was different and I just thought about it wrong. Is there a chance right. that I could make it right in the future? And this guy clearly never got over all those what ifs. Like, well, and we talk, if Simple Twist of Fate is it. right. Yeah. yeah, if Simple Twist of Fate, our reading was right, where he's saying, I wish we met in 58 and he's talking to Susie. And yeah, I, I wish I was not, never Bob Dylan because I'd rather be with you than this man to 2019 has never gotten over her. And I mean, I find that really romantic and also sad as well. Yeah. Um, and I wonder if the, I don't, this might not be true, but, you know, that reading makes all of it so sad. Yeah. And that kind of retroactively maybe works on the song. Like I, I want to give it more credit and let that work on it a little bit more, but I'm not gonna. So that's well, he's kind still of, a dick. He's still a dick. Yeah. The fact that he went after her family, like that's the problem. Have Tough. all the feelings you Tough. want to about their relationship, but you did not need to say all that shit that's not true about Carla. And you didn't need to drag her mom into this. Like that's Good just mom. shitty. Like that's that's well, what feels out of character and and it was super poor form. That's the worst part about it. And implying she is only going along with them because she's being brainwashed. Right. Like they yeah, yeah. they are manipulating her to not be with you because they're jealous of you and I. And you just they're jealous of you in particular and they want to bring you down to their fucking parasitic level where they're so yeah. fucking jealous of you. Yeah, I know. I agree. I think that like framing it around that just make just like ew, bad taste, bad taste from the moment yes. it came out of your mouth and it doesn't look good 58 years later. And he no. acknowledges that. And I guess this is where we go to part six, one dimensional. The last part here, Bob Dylan said to Bill Flanagan in 1985 uh, while they were discussing the better songs, Idiot Wind and the changing of the lyrics at the time to uh, Tangled Up in Blue. Um, and also where he denies writing an album about the dissolution of his marriage, although it's right there called blood on the tracks. He said, quote, I look back at this particular one ballad in plain D and say, I must've been a real schmuck to write that of all the songs I've written. 
maybe I could have left that alone. Yeah. Later, he comes back um, to the subject and says, quote, there are, amazingly, I, I love this one, quote, there are certain subjects that don't interest me to exploit, and I wouldn't really exploit a relationship with somebody, whereas in Ballad and Plain D, I did. Which is fair. And I think he learned his lesson, though, for real, yeah, for which sure. I do appreciate. You know, you didn't know. And then um, and then he continues on with the quote, quote, not knowing that I did. And at that time, my audience was very small, which I don't know if I totally agree with that. Um, but but he continues. It overtook my mind. So I wrote it. Maybe I shouldn't have used that. I had other songs at the time. Um, later, 20 years later, apparently, Bob called Carla and apologized for the song. Um, and Carla told him. But, but the caveat here is when she was telling Robert Shelton, basically he said that I think the song pretty well summarized the situation. So from his eyes, and I guess I appreciate that, like he still sees everything from that angle. Like the fight happened in this way. I don't approve of it necessarily, I suppose, but he is consistent at least. 20 years later, he's still thinking about it and he has not changed how that event took place in his mind. Because even though he apologized, he doesn't see it any different. I don't know if he sees it different today, another 40 years later, but I'd be curious if he does. Yeah. But who knows? That's not great. You would hope that there'd be some additional growth there that you could see. Like, mm-hmm. yeah, because in my opinion, it's 100% clear that you were the problem. That There's no right. doubt in my mind that Bob Dylan was the problem. So maybe Amen. he got to that in the end. I hope so. I hope so. And, and just writing about her, if he, he's still writing about Susie, then the, the tone the tone has changed a lot, which I do appreciate. Um, sorry, I'm at a race car summit, in case you didn't know. <laughs> um, we'll 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 close with with Susie riding off into the sunset like these like these guys. Um, Robert Shelton, dear God, notes. I know. Room room. Robert Shelton um, in No Direction Home. I, Robert Shelton was a contemporary. I feel like he is like the best person to quote when because he was friends with Suze and Bob. And I appreciate in the book too, rereading the whole chapter on Suze, or Susie, sorry, Suze, Susie. Um, he talks about how he saw everything from Bob Dylan's side because this was like the years before like mainstream feminism. Uh, he was talking about, he was like, I was brought up not to see women in that way. Like I liked her. And I thought she was really talented. And I look back on it now in the 1980s and I'm like, I wish that I didn't encourage her to be with Bob. I I wish that I knew more about her instead of her just being in the background. And I'm glad that he like, again, took some fucking responsibility for like, I I wish that I did more (laughs) Uh, because she's she was so great. And now I don't have any great anecdotes because I saw everything through Bob's lens. And that's how we did it back then. And which is pretty crazy. And um and tellingly bob dylan a couple of years afterwards even said a pretty interesting line which is i think the way that he sees himself and and how he writes songs he said to robert shelton when he was he said that he was going to go see Susie, and this would be like 1966 or so and bob one told her not to try to sleep with her so very nice and sexist from bob but then he said quote don't come on her about how i was Ask her what I did. She'll tell you. So he's obsessed with not his actions, but the results, right? Talk about what I did, not how how I was. Now, he could also be just growing up and saying, don't dwell on like that person because 
I was bad then. You know, you could read it that if you want to be generous. But I think it's interesting, just the dichotomy between don't talk, don't ask her how I was, but ask her what I did. And that's strange. That's a weird thing to say, like what I did. Is he implying songs, like all the songs I wrote for you? That kind of stuff? I don't know. So you yeah. can interpret that however you want. Um, and then we'll close with Suze. Um, we'll close with Susie. Susie later said, quote, I understand what he was doing in this song in particular. Um, it was at the end of something and we both were hurt and bitter. Uh, his art was his outlet, his exorcism. It was healthy. That was the way he wrote out his life. The loving songs, the cynical songs, the political songs. They're all part of the way that they are all part of the way he's, he saw the world and lived his life, period. So Kelly does this song work today in 2022 uh n- no i mean i think we still definitely <laughs> uh i i don't know i'm not saying it's a definite no but like again musically it's fine people still make it to songs with just guitars but but like just instrumentation wise i have to say it's fine but musically just kind of like last week it, i don't think we make songs that particularly sound like this anymore although and the a poem set to music is something people still do and will do forever uh, uh i don't know man it's it's not cutting enough to be a song from today um and it's not like schmaltzy enough to feel timeless i guess i don't know it yeah, so no i'm yeah. going to say no i guess no I'm going to, I'm going to say yes. Actually, this song is brilliant. I I love it so much. It's just the best song. Um, Yeah. I saw that coming. All I, all I can say, I've got a couple of thoughts here. I'll try to be as brief as possible. To me, this is cringe. This is the definition of cringe. This is something that you would hate in my opinion, to have out there just because it looks really bad. And I think it's something you regret. And Bob Dylan says he regrets it. He hates it. He wish he didn't do it. And I think that's what we all think about our former lives, our former selves. It's inevitable to growing up. It doesn't make it bad, but I think it's cringe. I think, I think we can all maybe agree with that. I don't think any of us would want to have a song like this out there. Um, especially about like an ex-girlfriend, especially if you break up and you never get back together and it's like, wow, it was just my first big girlfriend. And I'm like, all I can think about is stupid Eminem and how he like wrote those songs about cutting his fucking wife's head off and shit, his ex-wife's head off. Like it's so fucked up. And that was, you know, (laughs) I, I'm very old now. We're both very old. That was 20 years ago, but still like that's more recent than 1964 so agree but i would say that's cringe too i mean oh absolutely i would fucking hope so universal yeah Yeah. and and that's the thing so i think the song is 100 percent cringe and that's okay and bob says you know even in that interview with bill flanagan i think he he talks about it being a regret but he does mention like a a 500 to 1 scale on this is the only song that i regret and i'm like yeah i guess if you're bob dylan that's a pretty good odd. I don't know if I agree with it completely, but 500 great songs to one bad song, I'll take the odds. Like, I'll yeah. do that any day of the week. And I think, again, Bob Dylan is a lucky son of a bitch um, that you can sort of, yeah, the cringe is gone. You, nobody talks about the song. The song doesn't fucking matter. And you can see it as an autobiographical song. And that in and of itself is fairly interesting and is always going to be timeless. It's on one of his big, great records, right? So yeah. it's going to be there no matter what, but it doesn't make it uncringe. And I'll stand by that. From a songwriting perspective, I think it's weak. I think the narrator is sensible, like is a sensible choice to to be to use, and it works. the The narrative works, but the metaphors are fucking clunky. 
they don't make any sense. I mean, he sings Mr. Tambourine Man later and Mr. Tambourine Man at no point do I feel like I'm out of my depths, you know, because you're the whole point is you're getting on a magic carpet ride with the Mr. Tambourine Man taking you to surreal places. You can play along with it. But when Bob Dylan's on about mantelpieces and tombstones talking like the surrealism just doesn't work. This is a very grounded song. And then it just it, they're bad. They're just not good from a man who's going to like perfect this stuff. It just seems very amateur. And as I said, in 1965, in an interview with Jenny DeYoung, he calls this song one of his one-dimensional songs. And I think that's really true. I think that the the viciousness is going to come out in a, in a year with like a Rolling Stone. He's going to bring it into full 3D. Um, but we can't stop here without talking about Idiot Wind. Idiot Wind is ballad in plain D, but good. He could have written the same thing about Sarah and been so, you know, personal, but he chose to be metaphorical and bigger than just this tiny relationship that exists because Bob Dylan has grown and he's, he's now, he understands he can't do that again. Um, and I kept thinking about the, the beginning of both of those songs. This song starts out like a traditional ballad before it goes off the fucking rails. And I think that's kind of annoying. The intro, we haven't listened to idiot wind, but who doesn't want, and they both start right away. Like his voice hits right when you turn on the song, which I think is also interesting. So they are kind of like the same. And, but just like in the one in Ballad and Plain D, you've got, oh, oh my, this girl who's innocent like a lamb and blah. In Idiot Wind, the intro is someone's got it in for me. They're planting stories in the press. They say I shot a man named Gray and took his wife to Italy. She inherited a million bucks. And when she died, it came to me. I can't help it if I'm lucky. What even does that mean? Who is Gray? Who's dying? Or do you killed someone? Like, and this is a song about you and fucking Sarah? That's what I mean, where you're just like, you're drawn in. Just like that fucking race car, you're racing down, and you're like, idiot win, let's go. And that song is eight minutes long, too. They're literally like the same song. But one of them is timeless, and you never feel eight minutes. You want it to go on forever. And this one just, he never, he, you know, he never rewrote it either. Idiot win gets a lot of rewrites. This one, I'm curious. What 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 would he would have done with the song if he if it wasn't so long and maybe a little more well received? He could have changed the perspectives and you know gave us more information. But as it stands, it's a weird poem that just sits there. We talked a little bit before. I think the one redeeming element here is if it was a a B side, if it didn't make the record, would we be seeing this song differently? I think that's a fair assessment. If this was not on the record and it was just an outtake that we listened to for the first time in 2014, I'm sure we'd all love it. I'm sure we would have been chomping at the bit to get more Bob Dylan, you know, because we just want it all. And imagine this song being buried in there. And you're like, oh my God, listen to this. We, we know about that they had a fight. Holy shit. Do you see how he's writing about it? Do, 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 do. And you got all these like little takes on it. Like, I think that we would see this song a lot differently if it came out 50 years later. I don't think there would be so much vitriol, but I don't know if that's true or not. Yeah, I think it could go kind of two ways. It could be the people were just excited to get the you yeah. know blow by blow of the moment. I think that right. would be true no matter what. But it also, you know, the more distance we get from this, I think this, the takes could be even more scathing, especially in the moment. Like, oh my God, Bob Dylan... What a fucking scumbag. He's been terrible this whole time. This now disproves everything <laughs> I've ever thought was good about him. He's the fucking worst. <laughs> like, you know, I mean, and you could make those cases regardless of this song. Uh, but I think that it could go that way, too. So I don't know. Yeah. I don't know if it'd be better or worse for him if it came out now or later or earlier. No, I, yeah, I think I think people would I think it would just be it might not even make a dent at all. They would just be like, hey, whatever. 
It's but it's an eight minute song. Great. The more Bob, the better. I think that's kind of where we're all at now. It's like, keep giving us bootleg series. Keep giving us long things. We just want all of it. So if this was just part of all of it, I think I think we would forgive it a lot more. And we would say, oh, I, it would be weird because we would I think some people would say, I understand why this wasn't on there. Good job, Bob, for not putting it on. And then you would have the same people being like, damn, this is so personal. He should have put it on. What would this record be like if it was on there? You know, and then you have the whole debate that wouldn't change, you know, because I do think it's a weird enigmatic, enigmatic song that is so personal. It is by far his most personal straight up song, um, like narratively about his life it's kind of hard to imagine it existing and not wanting it to be on a record or something. So anyways, that's for you guys to debate out there in the real world. I I will leave. I'm adding, I I take it back. I think that it would have been much, my opinion if that it was released way after the fact, because he didn't actually intend for it to see the light of day would look much better on him as a person. Um, But when it does come out, it's like, dude, why would you put that out now? Cause that raises some, some more questions. Maybe after Susie dies, just to be like, I, this is a thing I did and I still feel shitty about it and I wish I would have said something to you in the moment and I'm sorry kind of thing. Um, or so, or he just wouldn't have said anything. He would have just put it out and then said, Susie, I don't I, I don't say Susie in there. It's just yeah, a song. Yeah, fair enough. Who? What? I don't even I don't think that was me, actually. I don't think that was my song. <laughs> I don't think I wrote that. I, yeah. I think you're making this up. Uh, not me. Not me. Um, yeah, no, I, I get what you're saying, though. Um, yeah, I don't know. Uh, but regardless, it's on the record, and we can't change that, unfortunately. Yep. Um, I'm going to close this with something we never do on this podcast, but I wish we did more. Fun facts. So I'm going to mm. close this with a fun fact, Kelly. During the false start where Bob said, I don't think I can make it all the way through here, uh, one of Bob Dylan's friends were in the studio with their child, Joel. Now, we could blame this on Joel if we want to, but I don't want to be <laughs> so cruel. Um, but anyways, he broke into the studio after like the a false take and he I want to I'm, I'm imagining some of this but I'm imagining him running up to Bob Dylan and being like I want to play your guitar you know just a fucking snot nosed kid and Bob Dylan gets down on his level and he says I'll rub you out I'll touch you you'll turn to dust and then I imagine the kid crying and being like mommy Bob Dylan <laughs> scared me and then he runs back and they shut the door and then Bob Dylan then feeling the fire of this exchange uh, channels it into this song. And he's like, okay, maybe I can do this stupid fucking Joel. I'll do it just to show you. (laughs) And then he, and then this is true. He gets on to Tom Wilson and he says that he's going to start again. He's ready to quote, start again on this dumb song. (laughs) Excellent. Excellent. Gone as the season she's taken. In one summer's youth I stole her away From her mother and sister Though close did they stay Kelly, did you know that we are a real live podcast that doesn't always come from the desert, but does come from Portland, Oregon for the most part? Actually has come exclusively from Portland, Oregon yep. for the last six years. I did know that. Mm-hmm. You did? Okay, good. You did know that. Um yeah, anyways, um, if you didn't know that, welcome to uh, our podcast, The 70% Bob right. Dylan Hour. And uh, we're real. And you, you know, we're on Twitter and Instagram, SOTW Pod. Uh, you can do that, but put a dot com on it like you're back in the 1990s. And that'll take you to a website, something that we used to do in the 1990s. We don't have an app yet. We're never going to oh, have an app. I never considered that. Think. Maybe we should make so an app. Deal with it. <laughs> I know. <laughs> How do you do that? I mean, 
we're not the people to make apps. I mean, we don't know. And we're not going to pay someone to do it unless you want to make it for us. There you go. Uh, you can also contribute to our app fund at SOTWpod, uh, patreon.com slash SOTWpod. That's the name. You can give us a dollar. Get an episode um, in your honor and get us one step closer that to that fucking excellent. app. Maybe. Yeah, let's, let's put that go. on one of our goals. If you, and if if you, you <laughs> give us a dollar, one day if we make an app, uh, you can have it. There you go. <laughs> your face you'll be you'll be a founder in there your name will be in there you know it'll be great um if you don't want to do any of that shit and you just want to like listen to music because music's awesome we do a playlist uh see that my playlist is kept clean is alive you know wherever we are in time you can see what we're listening to uh based on wherever uh whatever we're doing or you can go and search uh the name of this podcast with um the name of this song and you'll probably find it on spotify pretty easily it's also in our show notes at sotwpod.com and on your podcast app so you can click on the playlist and Listen to your heart's content. We love putting playlists together, and this playlist, I think, was um, mm-hmm. was really good. We've just been doing great. Welcome back for... We've been doing great. Welcome back for the second time. Charlie XCX, used to know me. Black Bear, Hot Girl Bummer, and Paramore. God, only for the second time with Emergency. Listening to Paramore again. God, I just Dude. need to go back and listen to them. I, I saw... I saw her when she was at Warp Tour in 2004. They were on the side of the side stage. They were not even a band. And I remember my friend was weirdly obsessed. I think he was like in love with her. And he brought my attention to Paramore. And I remember meeting him there, you know, just he was with other friends. And we went and watched Paramore like before their first record came out. I'll never forget that. And then I never really listened to them. They weren't really, you know, I sort of moved on to like metal. Um, Oh, well, the people are leaving. The kids are going. Yes. Um, I moved on to like metal and stuff, so I never really listened to them until years later. But God, this record's so good. Yeah, so this good. record, uh, I listened to this record you. on repeat after uh, my the breakup that I mentioned, and I just like every song is about me mm-hmm. and us. Mm-hmm. And, like, but I, I never listened to them after that. I, uh, even their their next album, right? Whatever. I never really listened to it. They they got really so yeah. so big for a second, and I was They're just huge. like, man, I'm over this. So big. <laughs> They're still big. They're still big. People fucking love them. They I, apparently coming out with another record. They're headlining a couple fests this summer. Uh, they what their old song "Butterflies" or whatever was like a huge huh. TikTok song, like last year. So it's like introducing a whole new generation of people to them. So I'm sure they're riding high. So we love to see it. Uh, and yeah, the Black Bear one. I'm surprised that we had two of them. That song. Oh, is big that song is on the enormous, internet as well. That, but um, it is one of like the, yeah. <laughs> we're like let's talk about mean songs like. That came into my head first for some mean reason. Songs, right? <laughs> it's like that's pretty. It's really? not even that mean. Wow. I mean, it kind of is, but like, yeah, here we go. Yeah. No, no, that that totally works. Uh, fourth time for postal service, so nothing better, of course. I do love that song. I, I love, you know, as as we've already talked about, they're great, and um, we sure saw did. them live years ago, and maybe they'll go on the twentieth anniversary tour. I'm sure that's coming at some point. And then uh, you hate to do it, but for the sixth time, Kanye, heartless. <laughs> Why not? You know, yeah. why not? It felt good. We, we don't listen to 808s enough. We should. Um, and then that's it. Those are the only like repeats. Welcome to the playlist for the first time. I didn't realize that Carly Simon did. You're so vain. Oh. I think I heard like a, a cover of it, like in the two, two, 2010s. And I thought it was like huh. a new song. I don't, I, maybe I just like totally spazzed on it, but yeah, that song's great. I mean, it's timeless, yeah. apparently, from the 70s. Shit. It's from, like, pre-dawn, yeah. pre-history, you know? Wild. Um, <laughs> sl- sleep In, I've never heard of them. I do know, and I'm not sorry. Pretty good. 
Like uh, you did, I thought this was for sure a Daniel band because this I is like, like your shit. I put I them thought, on. I, yeah, that on song list. is excellent. I'm gonna have to check it out. Yeah, yeah, that's pretty good. Uh, probably the, my favorite thing that I found because I was going by the lyrics, thankfully, because my original lineup was just not very good. But there's a uh, Todrick Hall pettiness, like a little ditty. I know when that so came good. on, I was like Todrick Hall. Where are we? Where'd you pull that from? And then I didn't know you were going by the lyrics, so I was like, "And this is this works. This totally works." Totally but works. I will say, okay, so the my brief for this playlist, in case you don't remember from last episode, was to like mean spirited mm-hmm. or like breakupy songs was what I got. And then I, I felt so bad because I was like, I'm sure there are a million more I could have come up with, but sure. I just went with the very first six that came into my head, except for two. One that I did not put on there was "One More Hour" by Slater Kinney because it's not mean; uh, it's just a breakup song. Sure. And then the other one. Which is not a breakup song and and kind of mean, but not in this way. Was corn and limp biscuit? Oh, no. oh my god, I can't remember the name of the song, but he, oh. it starts with, "Too bad I got your beans in my bag. <laughs> you stuck up sucker, corny motherfucker." <laughs> so, it's like, oh my god, I didn't do it, and everyone is you're, you're welcome. That not two corn it. corn back to back is too much. That's I too know much it was corn. too much. It'd be too much. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And limp biscuit unfortunately has been on here, so I would have to put them in the welcome back. Limp Biscuit. I don't. I don't. I never want to say those words again. So that's. Let's no, keep that no, away. Um, incredible. No, you did a great job. The ones you put on here. Yeah, Dressing Dolls. Good day, which I've definitely heard before. Oh, I love that song. Um, Jenny Owens Young, or Jenny Owen Young's uh, "Fuck Was I." Excellent song. And she says the word her. "parasite" in that song. See, there you go. So it even works on that level as well. And you did. Ooh, God, what's the other one you did? Or you already? No, you did the other bummer and postal service, right? And, and Paramore, yeah. Yep, yep. uh, and then I did a couple of um, instrumentals here. Moderator, Parasite, Hannah Lula, Hannah Luna, a ballad in F minor. I was going to go down that right with, with all the ballads and whatever. I'm glad I didn't mm-hmm. do that. But hers was pretty good. That was a nice little thing. Uh, Joyful Talk, ballad in nine. I thought that was a cool jazzy instrumental. I very liked that. Yeah, and then um, I, I put on there uh, Johnny Nash doing Dream Lover. Everybody knows Dream Lover because Bob Dylan said it. Brick Tops, Girlfriend's Mom, because, of course, we're talking about the mom. Uh, Stokes and Stain, mm-hmm. Stokes Insane, uh, back from the 1920s, Blues and D. And the Black Crows, who have never been on here before with... Ballad in Urgency, which that the cover of that record, the girls, you know, pubes like that's pubes, famous. Daniel. There I know are pubes it's, on the, co- it's, the famous. Album, yeah. <laughs> it's famous. And then I was like, ah, I don't, I don't want to, I don't want to put this on here. You know, it's like it's like sticky fingers say, and that's... stuff. You're like, ah, you're just doing it because nobody wants to buy this record. So you got to do. Did something. you like this song? No, it was the weakest one on the, the list for me. I don't really like. This by song. far, I just thought, why not? We'll just we got to get Black yeah. Rose on here some sometime. So it's inevitable. The, Chris Robinson will show up. Exactly. <laughs> it just has to every, happen. every podcast yeah. that's ever happened has to deal with their black crows moment. <laughs> that's just, Oh, I have a question. Yeah. Why did you pick uh, Johnny Nash as the cover for mm, dream? Lover? I just liked like, it. Wh- why did you pick that cover? Of because it? Like it? it was just, it had some horns. I kind of was going through the covers okay. and I was just like, what's I, you know, the big ones, I forget who it is. There's so many. That, well, Bobby Darren. Is yeah. Bobby Darren. But like, right. there's even, Anyways, all of them I'm sure we've heard in some, but I don't know if I've heard that one. And it was like, no, no, I like it. I'm glad you yeah. picked it. I was just curious. I'm sure there's eight million there's covers so of it, so I was just curious why I picked that one. Yeah, I didn't want the obvious one, but I liked him because I liked the horns, and I wanted it to go with joy, joyful band or whatever with the jazz. I wanted that to go into there because I did have Hoagie Carmichael's ballad in the rain or something like that on there, and I thought jazz into jazz, but then I was like, nah, fuck it, let's get Dream Lover on here. We're good. 
You know, I usually don't appeal to our audience very often mm. requesting stuff mm. because I don't participate in the internet, so mm. I will not be able to answer mm-hmm. your, your or respond to your question. But Daniel, in my mm. stead, please, can you reach out mm. anyone and be like, how did you miss this obvious breakup song? This is the one. This song is basically the same as Ballad and Plain D. I really want suggestions because I know there are a ton of songs that I love and I've heard a million times that would be way more stinging or like way more appropriate and fit this brief to a T. And I just like, could not think of them and i wanted it to be organic so i did just i didn't look at anything i just the ones that came into my head whether or not they work the best but i would love to hear yeah. from anybody listening to our voices what they would have put on our playlist that would be good I, I need to know and you can we do have a joint account kelly remember twitter srtw pod you see you're there too so just send it to oh, them. Oh, yeah. I don't, I, don't, I don't know what that is. I don't have That's it. fair. I don't know what that is. That's fair. But we'll pretend like you do just for the sake of it. Send us <laughs> send us your tweets. We want to know because I'm with you. I usually try when I hear songs. I'm like, ooh, that's good for this episode and I'll leave it as a breadcrumb for later. And this one just had a note. Find the worst songs, the, the songs that are pissed off. And then I never filled them in, <laughs> you know, because I was like, oh, I'll find them. I'll find them in time, you know? So... Yeah. I just never did. So I never really came across them over the last couple of years and, or I just forgot about them. So yeah, I'm glad we got a couple on there and I'm glad it was organic and it felt good. So a lot of new stuff, mm-hmm. honestly, it was really great. Um, speaking of new stuff, we were also people in the world living our lives, uh, deserts and, uh, coastal Pacific Northwest rainforest. What were, what were you doing out in the, um, out in the, the PNW this, this last week or so? S- so as a follow-up to last week, I finished Better Call Saul, mm. as I said. Well, not finished, right? Because it's not over yet. But then I made the mistake, because I could not stop, mm. of starting to watch the new season. Nice. And so now I've just, like, shot myself in the foot completely. Because it's not going to be over till August, and I'm, like, feeling feeling like I need it. I need it. I need it. So to, to help with that feeling, I was like, I'll just watch Breaking Bad. Nice. So I started Breaking Bad over again. Man, I you cannot feelings about the show whatever if you don't like it you don't have to like it the beautiful thing about media is you don't have to consume it if you don't want to if you don't like it you don't have to watch or listen to it it's really really up to you autonomy what a thing so i you cannot i feel like objectively say that this show is not compelling just like better call Mm -hmm. Saul. the pacing and the writing you want to know what happens next even if you might not be enjoying it and i'm not saying that i don't enjoy it i i have been enjoying it i've liked it i like the show whatever yeah i i mean not <laughs> it, it a brave take i don't know who hates it. breaking bad i don't know I, have we like gone to that place do people not like breaking bad you can have critiques about skylar like... and stuff but that happened contemporaneously yeah. i don't think anybody i don't think anybody's out there saying this is not a good show i, I, I just not. feel like every time now you have to mention it, it's like well the way they treated skylar and there's no women in this show and that's 100 percent true but it's like also like watching it now is so it's so funny because I watched all of Better Call Saul yeah. and I'm just like, ah, everything, it all makes sense. It's also good. I, I think I like Better Call Saul more, yeah. but I don't know. That's why I'm like, I want to watch it again. I'm having so much fun watching it. I can't wait for it. And the takes are fine. Skyler is, is not fun, but sometimes people are not fun and sometimes relationships suck. It, it's unfortunate, much like this song Ballad and Play D, that it's so tropey in that Walt's like, oh, my wife won't let me do whatever I want. And we let's not acknowledge the fact that what you want to do is go kill a go bunch kill of people and deal mess. Like, <laughs> which is great. I mean, yeah, yeah no, which, I, is, which is great. But maybe there's some commentary there as well. You know, this Walt's a I bad guy. He, we should not be cheering him on as as fucking. He had to come out to say that you're not supposed to be. It's like with Tony Soprano. David Chase has to come out and say you're not supposed to be rooting for Tony Soprano. You fucking idiots! <laughs> like you're doing the show wrong. Like you're willfully wrong. doing it wrong. You're seeing Skyler as an yeah. enemy because you want to be Walter White. Walter White's a bad guy. Skyler's a normal person. Yeah. 
who doesn't want this to go on. Yeah. And I think that because we see it from that angle too, it's warped. Like, I mean, everything from fucking Walt is just bullshit. That's why, I mean, Aaron Paul is so essential for that show, right? It's like, you got to have someone like him. Holy shit. Otherwise, uh, it's way too dark, way too crazy. Yeah, it's just, it's so nuts to see, like, how everything kicks off. And I thought stuff happened so much later. And it's been such a long time since I went back yeah. and watched it. I think I only watched it the one time we did, like, as yeah. it was go. I, I caught up because I had not been watching it, but I know we wanted to watch the second to last or last season together. So I, like, burned through it all. But I was, I don't know how much attention I was paying mm-hmm. the whole time. And, again, it's been a long time. Anyway, that has been really fun. The only other thing I did this week was listen to all of Kendrick Lamar again uh-huh. and then listen to the newest album, nice. like, four or five times. Yeah. Uh, and it has been really, really fun. Yeah. Uh, I, I like the new album. So what I, this, since it was a double album, it's got 18 tracks, which is like more than any of his other previous albums. Right. Yeah. Um, I went, I was like, let me try to rank Kendrick Lamar's albums in the most silly, quick way possible. (laughs) Yeah. So, uh, all I did was like, I kind of just popped, I I listened to them all this week, but then I just kind of speed run through them a little bit and I liked or favorited the ones that I liked the most. And that doesn't mean the lyrical content for me, it's almost always the, what the, the music that I would want to go back and listen to again. That's my, my qualifying for the clicking the like button is, is it a song that I would absolutely go back and listen to again because I enjoyed the music and the way that it makes me feel. Sometimes it's the lyrics, but most of the time it's going to be just like, do I want to throw this on a playlist because I like the way it sounds. So out of doing that, um, the newest album, Mr. Morale and the Big Steppers, ended up being my favorite Kendrick Lamar. Whoa. But I think it's a law of averages thing just wow. because there were more songs to like. Ooh, if that that's makes a sense. fair point. That's a fair point, yeah. For those who have to know, okay. So Mr. Morale, um, oh, and of the songs that I would definitely go back and listen to again or throw on a pay- playlist, I like I liked all the ones with like the nice female vocalists. I like Die Hard, Purple Hearts, and Mirror. The last song on the episode, I think Mirror is, is probably... I keep saying episode. Yeah, the last song on the album, Mirror, is probably my favorite just because it is so triumphant. He like it feels so cathartic because he's gone through all this stuff. Obviously, Mother I Sober is like Mr. Morrell wins with number nine with nine songs that I liked. And then next is Tip and Butterfly with eight. After that, section 80 with seven. And then uh, overly dedicated, which people might not count because it's technically like a mixtape or whatever, but I fucking like that album a lot. And there's a there's a couple of songs in there that sound straight up like Kid Cudi songs, especially Alien Girl, and I love that song. So that's number mm-hmm. five. And then uh four songs, Good Kid Mad City was the lowest on the list. Oh no, sorry. Wow. Damn. I like damn the least. Oh. Only three. Is that how do you think that reflects your actual feelings when you think about the records as a whole? Does that probably comport? not. Because yeah, I like no, I can't I... stress this enough. I really do like it all. Like the the mm-hmm. I don't think there's a single song that I would be like, I would skip that for sure. Like I, yeah. I maybe the yelling one on this one just because it does give me anxiety. But well, when like, you're listening to the record, you gotta do it. It's kinda like Pimp. Yeah. The, the worst part about Pimp is that he's got that interlude, that poem that keeps going through and adds on to itself throughout the whole record. Right. That it feels a bit tedious. Like Pimp is a longer record than Mr. Morale, but it's not technically a double record, right? So that's right. it's you can sell it however you want to do it, but like Pimp is longest, but yeah, that can be tiring at some point because the song ends and you find yourself skipping to the next song because you don't need to hear that poem for the 14th time uh, listening to the record through. But like as a whole, it's like you got to have it. Same thing with morale. I don't know how many songs listening to the whole thing you need to hear, you know, that we belong together or whatever, but you don't need to bop that at any point in your life. It's a really to yourself, really well thought out entire piece like the album is yeah. and I, I love that anytime an artist can pull that off successfully and the, totally. the musicality on this album the instrumentation and it's just like so perfect so anytime you can achieve you know i mean pianos are giant instruments that that's their kind of thing is that your chord structures and having multiple voices um you know musical voices at once blending together he did it so good and the, the vocal layering is so good why didn't I, that 
Oh, yeah. I didn't put that as one of my top three. But again, it may not be one that you bop, but it's like. No, no. Fucking beautiful. And so many of the songs on this album, obviously Mother I Sober, like are so beautiful, like fucking insane. So I think that's why, even though maybe it's inflated because there's more tracks on here that I could say confidently that this is probably my favorite. And it feels like a culmination. Like he just gets more and mature with every Mm -hmm. album and and like just trying new things and just really reaching. And you got to love that. You got to respect that. Oh, and I can't. Silent Hill was speaking of people don't like it. I think that song's yep. fucking hilarious because throughout the song he goes, yeah, like, yeah. It's just so funny. People hate that. It's so funny. It's so funny. It's so fucking funny. It's just like, you cannot giggle when he's just like, I'm, you know, rapping these lyrics and then like, like, yeah. He, <laughs> it's so good. And like, I'd like him too because he's not like the idea of like, like with Bob Dylan too, where you want some fucking like perfect savior like priest man who's like going to sing to you is fucking stupid. I don't know why people even want that. Like let Kendrick be himself as he says on the record too. Like I am just me and he can be, he can like Kodak black who is like a MAGA head. Like he's all over the record and he's a fucking like abusive, like actually been charged with abuse and like, he's not a good guy. Why is he on here? Right. He's cause it's, He's allowed to be complicated, I guess, is the whole point. Like, Kodak Black, strange. He's empathizing with, like, fucking R. Kelly and stuff. These are not great looks. I mean, I'm not going to sit here and defend (laughs) Kendrick with any of this shit. But, like, let him be himself, man. Like, I mean, you take it for what it is. And it's not the end of the world. And just try to find something in it. I don't know. There's just so many people that just, yeah, hate stuff for... Because they're told to hate it or whatever. They're not actually engaging with it. And I don't know. Because, like, I saw him, I don't really care for it. But, yeah, you want to have the take. It's all about the take. And it's like... Does that really do something for you? I don't know. Doesn't do and if it doesn't, then I We're don't not know, on the internet, so we don't do it. Fucking move on. I don't know. People have too much time on their too fucking hands. <laughs> Agree. Agree. Anyway, what were you doing, Daniel, out in the desert? Wow. Yeah, no, I, I thought I downloaded, like, so many, like, shows and movies and stuff, and I'm just like, th- weirdly enough, I just didn't do them. I've just been, like, actually read. I thought I would get b- bored of reading and stuff. But I'm not bored of reading, so I've just been reading a lot of papers and stuff for another project and a couple books. I just finished a great book called Origin, uh, like talking about the genetic history of the Americas, and uh, by Jennifer Raff, who's from uh, the University of Kansas. Ever heard of it? She's great, great writer. I listened to the audio book of it, and um, it was cool. Like I think we're all taught that, like you know, we we know about the land bridge, right? Like everybody coming over the land bridge, and mm-hmm. it was kind of dealing with like the origins of native peoples and like where did they come from? And but it was so well rounded and thought out and really really great i just can't if, if you're interested in that i mean who isn't it's talking about like clovis tools and first peoples and all these archaeological sites she has a great chapter of like how she goes into the lab like she walks you through what it is to like extract dna off of a bone and stuff and like all the gels and stuff that they use and where they send it and it's like wow i had no idea any of this stuff so she just writes about dna and rna and alleles and all this stuff that you just like kind of hear about, but you don't know about, but it's a nice little short book. So I do recommend that as a, as a book, if you're looking for something fun and I recommend the audiobook because the girl that does it is excellent. Uh, and then I caught up on, on some records. Um, I listened to destroyer, um, their new, new album called labyrinthitis. I love that, but it's not that great. I don't know. Den- Destroyer's okay. Elway out of Denver. I love them. They haven't put out a record in years called The Best of All Possible Worlds. I listen to the Red Hot Chili Peppers, Unlimited Love. They're just not, they're not for me. It's not for me. <laughs> I was so bored. It's so long. They don't have to make albums that are fucking an hour and a half long. I don't understand it. Oh, 40 minutes. God. Albums over 40 minutes long. Don't do it. Um, the God Tim Barry said, don't do it. 
Uh, I listened to Jack White. He has two albums coming out this year. Uh, the first one that is, is called Fear of the Dawn, and it's good. He is so weird. Like, really <laughs> weird. The The songs are bizarre, and he's, like, he's obviously really talented and a good songwriter. And I just expect sometimes, because sometimes I don't really like it, or it's, like, really experimental, so it's, like, kind of a one-listen thing. And this is, like, right on the line, where it's bizarre, but it... It, it also like bops, which I miss from the white white stripes days. You know, I, yeah. none of the stuff afterwards. It's really like just been like a good fucking rock record. Speaking of a great rock record, King Gizzard and the Lizard Wizard uh, come out with another fucking album because they come out with one every five months. Uh, this one's called uh, Ominum Gatherum. And it's awesome. The first song is like 17 minutes long and it's so good that I'm like. I regret putting it onto my playlist for the year because I'm like, dude, when I get that, it's 17 fucking minutes, man. It's tough. It's a long one. You're going to skip it most times, which is sad because it's really good. Um, Bob Villain came out with a new record called Bob Villain Presents The Price of Life. And I got to recommend Bob Villain. Excellent um, UK sort of hip hop punk combination. Great stuff. And then remember Block Party? They came out with a new album called Alpha Games. And it's pretty oh. good. There's a couple songs that sound like, I mean, everybody wants that first record, second record, whatever it was. What was the name of that record? Um, you know, Light you know the one. Right. Something. They want you want that all the time. They've been. I've listened to every record they've come out with, and it never gets close to that again. But this one does. Um, the, a couple of songs are really see. good. The what? The first one. The, the white city? one. The oh my fucking god! The first song is the price of gas. It's the very first record. It's oh, right. The, yeah, white yeah, cover. Yeah, yeah. Yes. Come on. Come on. There we go. Silent Alarm. Silent Alarm. Yeah. We want Silent Alarm too. Never come. Mm-hmm. But I do. I got to say the first like three songs on this record are really good. And it, it reminds me of Silent Alarm. The layering and stuff. Really, really well done. And then it gets a little bit kind of samey after that. But they're pretty good. I'm not going to be mad about that. So I mean, I absolutely loved that those two albums, <sighs> The Weekend in the City and Me Silent too. Alarm. And even the one after that, uh, Intimacy is cool too. And then you kind of fall off during the mm. four. That's the one with all the rings on it. Yeah. Four, that's right. Oh my God, I remember four. That was a big deal. That They they announced that as like a comeback. And I that one was like not good. But I listened to, I've listened to everyone as they come out. They're still a band that I'm like, I'm excited to see them still around and I'm excited to listen to it. So yeah, I, I think you would probably like Alpha Games if you like silent alarm so i thought it was pretty good you might actually enjoy it so um yeah anyways no i'm just kind of catching up on 2022 records and this is our last episode from the desert so this is it um oh, shit. We're, we're done we're done um although it's weird because uh we're about to see bob dylan but we've already seen bob dylan so we're straddling time here kelly <laughs> we do need to talk about our next episode though yeah so i don't know if you're if you're ready to choose that we choose episodes on here randomly we used to do it by numbers, but now we do it by words. So, I Kelly, mean, I've got my phone really, here. Are you work. ready? Yeah. Are you ready for this? I, I think so. I'm pulling. Let me pull this back here. Um, Grab the notion up here. Oh, I had it ready. Gotcha. Boom. Yeah. All right. We are ready. So you're going to give me five random words, and I'm going to look up and see if we've got any songs here. Oh, right. Are you ready for the first word? Ready cooperation which i feel like we've ran i we, we you, you know we have randomly chosen this before i don't know though maybe not mm, no i only went to cooperate to see if there's anything but no no cooperate no cooperation so no mm. okay indulge indulge 
I'm out in the desert, everybody, if you didn't know. The the hooligans are gone. We do have one indulge. Okay. All right. Uh, rate. Rate. Mm-hmm. Like, I rated Kendrick Lamar's. Kendrick Lamar's. <laughs> Kendrick Lamar. Kendrick Michael Lamar's. He's uh, an Irish rapper. This one's better. Oh, oh, sorry. No, there's even more. Rate. Oh, shit. I think rate. There's 35 rates. Okay, that's too many. Ooh. That's a lot. Okay, what's the last one? Last word is finger. Okay. All right. I think we should... The indulge one is potentially suspect, but finger will be good. Finger will get a bunch. Let's just see here. Or we won't get anything finger. Let's... Okay, we have to. It's still loading. Maybe it's loading 100 songs. Probably loading 17 (laughs) songs. Okay, so that's a little bit better. Uh, I think that you should just pick a song that has the word finger in it that you like, because now I'm very attached to the idea of putting Linger from the Cranberries on, because I just talked about Irish stuff, and I just looked on our thing, and we haven't used that song. So I need to put Mm. Linger on a playlist, because finger. You want to put... Well, in the because okay. the lyrics to oh, linger oh, I'm sorry, are the finger, you've got yeah. me wrapped around your finger. Your finger. <laughs> okay, that's good. That's good. Um, then I think we could try to do if we're talking about fingers. <laughs> um, what you talking about? Fingers. <laughs> talking about fingers. Um, I'm trying to think. Like, um, mm, that one's that one's pretty pretty big. Oh, man, I don't know. I feel like we haven't gone back to Planet Waves in a long time. So there's two Planet Waves songs on here that we could do. Um, I don't know exactly about the finger. Let me just really quick and look, see if I see finger at all. Um, do, 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 blah, 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 nice, finger, finger, finger. Run Your Fingers Down My Spine is one of them. Okay. And then the other one, oh, God, just please go away. Please let me let me do this. Oh no, I can't see. I can only see half of the lyrics. They don't let me. They don't I'm having let a me memory. We did Planet Waves. I remember there being a song where he's like chatting up uh, or just had sex with or is having a romantic time with a lady like in a shack. And I bet it's that song. <laughs> um, th- This could be... I feel like we should just do it. Yeah, I think that that's going to be... Yeah, run your fingers down my spine. Bring me a touch of bliss. Yeah. Let's do that one. Okay. I think that's a lightweight one and fun. Honestly, first fucking Planet Wave since episode five. No, since Dirge 100. No, Dirge. We forgot about Dirge. Never forget about Dirge. Um, But yeah, this will be our second one after Dirge. So let's do it. Let's do it. So this is going to be the opener on the record on a night like this. Yep. That's the one I was totally thinking about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. On a night like this. Yeah. All right. So we'll talk about the band and we'll talk about... um, uh, yeah, it's, it'll be nice to have a little fluffy song after this shit. So on a night like this, maybe he's talking about Susie here too. We'll never know. <laughs> no way to know. All right, Kelly. Well, soon I'll have control F back and we'll have a little bit more, um, functionality in these guesses, but, um, we'll have to hold off till then. So I'm going to get out of the desert and you, um, you know, I'll see you back in the Pacific Northwest very soon. I guess I'm still in the Pacific Northwest. Yeah. So I guess I'm already here. <laughs> hmm. That's weird. Okay, well, I'll see you in a couple days. Bye. Goodbye.
Brothers got it.